thank you for your uh, word. We understand this is the objective word of God. It is the same thing that the people worked their way through the dark ages with. The same thing that uh, uh, been preached down through the uh, 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. Your word doesn't change. Thank you for that, God, because society sure changes. Cultures sure change. The way we think and reason and, and come to conclusions sure changes. But your word it is just rock solid like the rock of Gibraltar. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that you wrote it down and that it's just not some oral tradition that we have to wonder about. That is the written word of God. I just thank you for that, God. Such wisdom that you had to, to just codify your word through the millennia. I thank you also for your Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that anointed the writers to write how they wrote, and to give them insight into the mind of God, that same Holy Spirit is here this morning to help us understand the Word. And if we would just humble ourselves, then He would work in our lives. So I pray that starting with the preacher and down through every parishioner, I just pray, God, that there'd be a humility in our spirit. You, you said to those churches in, in uh, the book of Revelation, or chapters 2 and 3, you as an ear, let them hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. I pray, God, that we would have ears that hear. We would listen to your Spirit. We would allow that Spirit to work in our lives. Help us toward that end this morning, speaker and listener alike. Our motives would be pure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're working our way through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 8 this morning. And while I preached a little bit about the first four verses of, of Acts last Sunday, I, I want to uh, draw your attention to something here because it has bearing, in, in those verses it has bearing on what we're going to talk about this morning. I want you to see that Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 completely fulfills Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? Jesus said to the disciples, you shall receive power after that which the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. It says that Saul was consenting to Stephen's death, and at that time, great persecution arose against the church there at Jerusalem. Pause. Great persecution arose against the church at Jerusalem. And they were, they being the church people, it says later that the apostles, yeah, at the end of the verse, it says the apostles didn't go. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, they were already in Jerusalem, they were scattered among Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So you see, eight, uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 uh, answers Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And here's the, part, here's the thing that I want to set the stage about today's lesson uh, for you with. This was not these people, these churchgoers, just like you and me, the people in Jerusalem. This was not their first plan. Amen? Think about what I just said. Their first plan was not that bad guys would begin knocking on our doors trying to haul us off to prison while we're just wanting to live a quiet and innocent life. 
their first plan was just to sit, go to work, uh, you know, share, sing kumbaya, praise the Lord, listen to another nice lecture about Jesus, uh, grow in faith and spirit a little bit every day, meeting down at the temple, having prayer served. That was their first plan. But persecution hit the church. I have the feeling that if persecution didn't hit the church, there would not have been the, the, the missionary uh, endeavor that occurred because of persecution. You see, if there wasn't the persecution, people would have just sat there at home. And, and maybe eventually someone would have said, you know, we should send out a missionary. But God had a different plan. I said God had a different plan. God's plan was that this uh, ev evangelistic message should go out to Judea and should go out to um, uh, Samaria. You know, there's a little psalm. We don't, you can, if you're fast, Dave, and you want to get it up there. By the way, I'm in the New King James today, just to throw you a curveball. I don't know how many options you have there, but uh, I'm in the New King James today. Um, there's a little psalm tucked away in Psalm 76 and verse 10. And it says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Now, those words don't seem right away like they should go together. What does that mean? The wrath of man shall praise the Lord. Here's what I want to tell you. The Lord is completely capable because he is sovereign. And this is what we're going to talk about today, the sovereignty of God. God is so in control, he is so sovereign, that even when men are enraged against him, he is able to receive glory for his own purposes, even out of that. I mean, it, it, the, the extent to which God is able to receive glory even reaches not only to willing people like you and me who have a reason to sing and shout and praise the Lord. Of course he can receive glory and praise from that. But because God is sovereign, he can receive praise even from the wrath of man. May I draw to your attention the anger of Saul. Saul felt like, who are these Christians uh, doing this thing against my God and my faith, the Jewish faith that has long been held? And who are these Christians and, and why are they creating this heresy that's, that's coming against Judaism? Saul thought he was doing the right thing as he went around in anger, in hissy fits, grabbing this Christian and grabbing that Christian and throwing them in prison. Uh, Nellie, can you put her down and run to the fellowship hall and get me a little bottle of water? I don't know what's going on today. No, no. Well, you sure you got one already? In stock, no waiting, Nellie. <clears throat> Thank you. Wow. Have not because you asked not. It's even cold. Thanks a million. Even the anger of Saul trying to persecute the church, where did it get him? It got him to chapter 8 and verse 1. It got him to where they finally were uh, uh, going to be scattered into Samaria, and then we're going to get into our text today to where there's going to be a great revival in Samaria because of the anger of Saul at causing the people to be scattered, and so even the wrath of man shall praise the Lord. Even the wrath of man shall praise him, the psalmist said. Now, before I begin to really... Beat, beat the drum of the message this morning. I, I want to read one little verse that we skipped over that would have come from the week before last. <clears throat> and we didn't cover this text, so I want to just read it to you because it kind of speaks to where I want to go with today's message. 
And it's in 7, verses 49 and 50. Watch as I read. Heaven is my throne. This is God, of course, talking. And the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? And, and what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? <clears throat> the drum I'm going to beat today is the sovereignty of God. It is God alone that is in complete and absolute control over everything that's going on. In the universe on the far side of the Milky Way, in the forest where the tree falls and there's no one there to hear it, in, in, in the Knesset uh, building in Israel where the lawmakers and thinkers are trying to figure out what they should do about Iran, in our White House, in the National Security Administration where the windows are dark and, and guys are figuring out what's going on with our security, in your family, in your life, on your pillow when you're all alone at night, God is in control. No matter how much it may seem to the contrary, no matter how much it might seem like the, the earth is atop and it's starting to wobble and it's going to spin out of control and fly apart, it is not. God does not pace the floorboards of heaven, wringing his hands, pulling his hair out, wondering what in the world's going on down there. God is high and lifted up. Isaiah in chapter 6 said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. He is in absolute control. He is a sovereign God, and we have the good fortune of being able to serve him. Our text is a whole bunch here. If you can keep up, keep up with me, Dave, God bless you. I'm going to read Acts chapter 8 verses 4 through 23. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. <clears throat> I can't help myself. I've got to stop there. They would not have done that were it not from the, for the wrath of Saul. The wrath of man was praising God, brought praise to God. And Philip went down. This is not Philip, by the way. You should know that there was an apostle or disciple named Philip, one of Jesus' 12. It's not that one. This was the Philip that was elected to be a deacon, a helper to feed the widows. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. That Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon. Oh, we're going to talk about Simon today. Who previously practiced, most Bibles there say magic. I think this, if you're New King James, it says sorcery. The idea is magic. I'm going to teach you a little bit about what that word magic means in a minute. He practiced, allow me to say magic here though, because it's a little better. Sorcery, I'm going to cut ahead of myself and tell you that sorcery implies a demonic background. Uh, thoughtful Bible students who carefully look at different word uses and all kinds of stuff, we don't have time today to really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, sort of all agree that he was more of a prestidigitator, one of these guys that uses sleight of hand. Uh, okay, so that's why I would just want to call it magic, and I hope you understand it in that sense. Uh, this guy, Simon, previously practiced magic in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, 
This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his magic for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And Simon himself was also believed. And he was baptized. He continued with Philip. And he, that magician, was amazed to see the miracles and signs which were done. Verse 14. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. By the way, this is the same Peter who a couple months earlier was visiting Samaria with Jesus and he didn't like the cold reception that he was getting. And so Peter said, Lord, let's call down lightning. Do you remember this from heaven that it would consume these sorry Samaritans? And Jesus said, no, that's not cool. You're not going to call, we, that's not the way we roll. We're not going to do that. We're not going to call down lightning from heaven. That's the Peter that's showing up now with John in the middle of a revival. I suppose he had second thoughts now and understood a little bit of why, about why Jesus said, don't, don't uh, tear him up with, with lightning despite how you feel about it. Um, so when they had come down, they, verse 15, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Boy, there's a deep well we could dig right there. Let me just say, you, I want to just give you the shovel and you can dig it at home. Uh, they were already born again. They were already water baptized. They had not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's all I want to say. You connect the dots later and figure that one out. They might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that it's the apostles laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Back to the magician. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, Your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God repent therefore for your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you for your I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity I see you are poisoned with wickedness and bound with iniquity to Simon the sorcerer the magician who had apparently or seemingly at least already surrendered his heart to Jesus. I want to double back to something I touched on just a minute ago, and that was Simon's magic. There's two broad categories of magic. There's the real wicked, you know, uh, magic where you're actually conjuring up yeah, evil forces and all that stuff, and they have spells and they cast all this stuff. I don't know that much about it. I know a little bit about it, but uh, this is not the kind of magic. This is more, uh, Simon, we think, was more the, I'll call it the innocent kind of magic, the kind of magic you can buy down at the store. You know, if you have enough money, you can go in there and buy these tricks. Now, there's showmanship to magic. How do I know this? Because uh, for a little while, I was one of those kinds of little uh, birthday party magician kind of things. You know, the Rotary Club would hire me. I'd go out and do that kind of thing and whatever. And so uh, I've got a box of tricks, and uh, it, it's fun. But... Uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel real comfortable in that environment. I don't, I don't do that so much anymore. It's fun with little kids to show them some tricks once in a while, but don't go out of my way to, 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 to perform magic. I'm not sure it's uh, 
synthetic with being a, 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 a pastor anyways. But this is the kind of magician that, that, that Simon was. He did tricks. He did things that you could buy. You could go to the shop, you could buy the trick, you could have the trick, or if there was a master, let's say Franklin knew, had a special way with uh, little balls, you know, in his hands. Some of these guys can do this stuff. And, you know, well, for Franklin, let's say Sam wanted to learn how to do that. Well, okay, but guess what kind of relationship that they would probably have? They would have a financial relationship. You know, I make money showing my little ball tricks with my hands. So if you're going to start making money with showing little ball tricks with your hands, that's going to cost you $1,000 for me to work with you and teach you that. So it costs money. It's important that you get this. If you want to go down to the trick store at the mall and buy some tricks so that you can have birthday parties and make a little money, the trick store is not going to give you the tricks. Some of these tricks I have are incredible incredibly manufactured. I don't know how well they had manufacturing back in Simon's day, but they're worth the 35 bucks that you pay for it from, from an engineering standpoint because the trick is all about the gimmick, okay? But there's two parts to being a, a, a good part, uh, birthday magician. One is the trick. You've got to have some good tricks, amen? And the second thing is you've got to have some showmanship. You know, I might be able to give Tommy here all the little tricks in my box, but he would be a dud because he's got no patter. You know, he can't really talk. You know, he just has no showmanship. Listen, Simon had it both. Simon had his little bag of tricks, and Simon had showmanship, and Simon crossed the line when he said, I am someone special from God. And so the people began to say, whoa, Simon is someone uh, special from God. He enjoyed that reputation that he got. Well, Things changed for Simon. Verse 12, there came a great revival in Samaria. Apparently, even Simon uh, believed. But notice uh, verse 13. Simon himself believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Simon, the magician, the magic hadn't come out of Simon's blood yet. He, he, he believed like everybody else did, but he didn't his, abandon his interest in amazement. Simon was addicted to things that were amazing. And so when he got saved, he hung out with Philip. He stayed close by Philip because he was amazed at the things that Philip uh, could get done. When a man is saved and baptized, there needs to be a total putting off of old things. There's a great post that we could tie our horse to and talk about this for a long time. But let me just say, you come to Christ or you have a friend that comes to Christ, encourage them to abandon not some of their old ways. We talked about this at length last week. But to totally die to all the old ways. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm going to tell you, just like a little teeny germ in the, in the back of your throat will spread to be strep and, and will give you a fever and knock you down, so will one little germ of your old ways. If you continue to coddle and embrace that one little germ of your old ways, it might seem innocent, it might seem innocuous, but it will, it will Satan is patient, it will take its time, and it will spread 
and eventually cause you problems. Salvation is not just patching some new belief on some uh, old wineskins of your way of life. It's got to be all new. Behold, old things are passed away. All things become. Secondly, uh, particularly troubling is Simon's attraction to magic. I'm troubled by uh, Simon's attraction to magic. Uh, to, to, to his attraction to making people believe that he can control the things that are invisible to us. We're, 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 we're coming now to the core of the message. Simon was a guy that liked to get people to think that he could control things that were otherwise invisible, otherwise out of our control. Simon had a special resource uh, uh, that, that was his whole life and that he had a fascination by that, that power that he could control things uh, that the rest of us could not control. I'm concerned for Simon that he thought he could control the very powers of God. And this was the rot that Peter saw in Simon's life. When, when Simon piped up and said, Holy mackerel! I will give you money that you would be able to give me that power that I would be able to, to uh, be in control of the powers of God like you just did. Peter's alarm went immediately off and said, you know that uh, uh, in the original text here, again, we're, we're, we're blessed because, remember we saw, saw a couple weeks ago where the original text had scubalung, and they translated it as dung instead of some other more harsh word. Well, uh, here, it actually says, to hell with you and your money, Simon. Peter was hardcore with Simon to, to say, to even think that he could control the things of God. So our suspicions about Simon are proven right there in 14 through 19. We thought that he was maybe a convert, but we were a little suspicious of him. And in 19, he says, Get, give me this power, I'm going to pay you money for it. I believe that Simon knew that what Peter and John were doing was a God thing, and Simon wanted to be able to control the God thing. That's precisely what makes his request so abominable. Ultimately, he wanted to control God. And Peter understood the seriousness of that sin. God is sovereign. You see, God alone is sovereign. Before you get too angry and judgmental about Peter... I want to let you know that the enemy is busy at work in each of our lives hoping to teach us that if we do the right things, if we behave the right ways, if we say the right prayers, if we anoint the right oil, if we, if we, if we do the right things, we can control God. Can I tell you, friend, you can't control God. God is sovereign. God is going to do what God is going to do. Well, then, Pastor Cliff, what's our job? Uh, it's easy. Good question, and it's easy. Find out what God's plan is 
and cooperate with it. Embrace it. Work with it. Be involved with it. But you ain't going to change God's plan. You can't control God. He alone is sovereign. When you think that you can control God and then you do everything that you know how to do to control him and things don't go the way you've been working yourself up and trying to control him by, by whatever efforts, you know, uh, by, by fasting a certain length of time, by kneeling down a certain front, you're praying a certain pattern or doing whatever you do, and then when it doesn't come true, you're probably going to get an attitude with God. And this is the enemy's goal is to get you and, and the Father out of relationship or, 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 or in a twisted relationship. Your best bet. Now, now you're saying, Pastor Cliff, is, is it really, are we just like little marionettes? Are we just string puppets down here? And God's going to do what God's going to do? Not at all. God has invited us into the master plan with him. And we can, we can affect God's master plan. But believe me, you, you can cause trouble in the plan of God. Now you're confusing me, Pastor Cliff. Let me, I, I can't afford with time to spend much time right here, but let me just for a second tell you what I mean. Peter teaches, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. God has a sovereign plan that not any should perish. God's plan is that not one should die in their sin and go to hell. That's God's plan. But we, because he's created us in his image and in his likeness, we have the opportunity to mess up the things of God. That's why I said it's the duty, the solemn, sacred duty of Christians not to try to twist and change God's plan, but to try to identify what is God's plan and then cooperate and flow with it and move in it and operate in it. This is our, this is our uh, highest calling to understand that God alone is sovereign, that we are his people, we're the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep, he is the shepherd. We don't go bite the shepherd, we don't tell the shepherd where we want to go, what we want to do. We listen to the shepherd's voice, we go where he says go, we stop where he says stop, we rest where he says to rest, and when we do that, we can see as in the 23rd Psalm, that he takes care of everything for us. He makes us lie down beside still waters. He provides green pastures. He provides a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil when we are the submissive sheep. But I want to I suggest to you, and, and, and we're all going to get C-minuses on this report card that I'm going to give us right now, present company included, that because... You were born in the United States of America because you were born into a democratic republic mentality. Because when you were in kindergarten, the teacher taught you, uh, boys and girls, is it a little hot in here? How many think that we should open the windows? One, two, three, four, five, six. How many think that we should leave the windows closed? One, two, three, four. Oh, we're going to open the windows because the uh, majority rules. And so... We've grown up with this mentality that as long as we're part of the majority, we rule. And we get this mentality that as long as we're part of the majority, we can control things that are bigger than ourselves. You, you were born into this country. I have this to say against our country. As much as I love it, I served it, I served proudly. I'm proud of my children that served this country. I'm proud of all of you that served this country. But... We 
And politically, I understand it. Believe me, I can talk politics if you want to talk politics. But we, in an an act of defiant rebellion, we declared our independence against the king. Talking about the king of England in this case, okay? Don't think I'm confused. Against the king. We were born in a state, as a country, in a state of rebellion. We rebelled against the king. We threw him off. We said, we're not going to submit to you anymore. No more taxation without representation. Again, all those things politically, I'm all amen about. But as a country, we're a country about its independence. We're a country about, hey, hey, we're strong, we're mighty, we're independent. And these things are fine as they affect the uh, affairs of man and the governance of man and, and politics and leadership and laws and all that stuff. But these things absolutely stink when they infect the mind of a Christian trying to sort out his rightful place beneath his sovereign God. Because we inadvertently take the same mentality that we have about our independence and our rights and, 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 and uh, the majority rules and a democratic republic, we, we inadvertently take those mentalities right into our Christian uh, attitudes. And, and unless there's a sermon like this, and unless we pay attention, unless we ask ourselves, how do I treat God? Do I treat him as the sovereign king that he is, or do I somehow accidentally, inadvertently think that I can tell him what to do? I, pro- I, I uh, propose to you today that if, if you inadvertently or on purpose uh, have this attitude towards God, that you can tell him exactly how you want it, is exactly how it's supposed to come, exactly how you'll have it, and you somehow, and you wouldn't admit it, You wouldn't get it wrong on a test if I were testing you and you were having to circle the right answer. I know you'd know the right answer to circle, but this is an attitude that I'm talking about. And the attitude is, God is there for me. I'm not there for God. The attitude is, I will control him, thank you very much, with my prayers and druthers, and I will expect him to hop to when I need his help rather than me hopping to to whatever, whatever he may ask me to do, including the possibility of a terribly dangerous and grim uh, uh, mission. My goal ought to just be, yes, sir, I'm honored that you would choose me, sir. I'm proud to be your servant, sir. And here's the point I want to make. We all, we all can look at Simon and get a little disgusted with Simon's, you know, lifestyle to begin with. And okay, he got saved, I suppose, but I'm still not trusting him too far. Look at the way he's hanging around with Philip, all mesmerized by Philip's stuff. And then he showed his true colors. Aha! I knew there was something stinky about his salvation. Did you hear Peter yell at him the other day? Peter practically sent him to hell because Simon thought he could take it and buy like he bought his other tricks. He thought he could buy uh, some tricks to be able to control God. And we can have, we can have a way to really get attitudinal towards uh, Simon. Huh, I knew he stunk. I knew there was a problem with Simon. Well, let me tell you something. You think you can control God? Hello, Simon. 
What Simon had backwards was he thought that he would be able to manage God. These things your Christian pastor needs to teach you, you can't do. You can't have that. You can't do that. You want by your prayers, and then you have a hissy fit when your prayer doesn't get answered. This is because you thought you could control God. And when things that didn't get answered the way you thought they should be answered didn't get answered, then you have a little hissy fit towards God. All you're doing, you're just like Simon. All you're doing is betraying the shallowness of your so-called commitment to him to begin with. The deep Christian realizes, I am the sheep. He is the shepherd. He is the king. I am the serf. I am the servant. I am the guy out there that I will do anything my king asks me to do. I consider it, and you're hearing me beat this drum. Yeah, it's about the third time I'm saying it, and you might hear it a fourth time. I consider it my sacred duty to understand what the will of God is and to snap to and say, yes, sir, and obey him no matter what it is. It's hard to do. I repeat myself, but I won't go all the way there. It's hard to do because we're American, and we're not used to that. I'm telling you right now, uh, I don't know where these countries are that the fairy tales are written on, or if there's even a country to them, but if, you know, the fa- I got granddaughters visiting, so we see our fair share of these fairy tale cartoons the last couple weeks. So I don't know where these places are, but if you lived in one of those places, we saw seven dwarfs or something the other night, and everybody in the kingdom understood that the king was awesome. And, and that it was their job as little serfs and little people to give their taxes and to, and to do it. Uh, and if they could be in the presence of the king, they would melt with, with honor and respect and they all bow down and they all, they all understand, this is the king, this is the king how easy it would be to transition into the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God his Father if we lived and were born in that kind of kingdom. Because it would already be our mindset that when the king shows up, we honor the king, we fall to our face, we thank God that the king didn't decide to chop our head off that day. You don't go into the king. Let me tell you something. You, in, a, in a king situation here on earth, I'm not talking about God, I'm talking about here on earth, you don't go into the king and bellyache. I mean, it is a dangerous thing to go into before the king with a fallen countenance. It, when you were going to go into the king, you dared not go in dirty. You dared not go in with an attitude. You dared not go in upset. If you had hard feelings, you better wipe them off your face because to come into the presence of the king, you needed to have a happy countenance on. You needed to be a positive thinker. You needed to be in clean clothes because the king wasn't interested in you all coming in there and sullen and bumming them out telling you, if we grew up in the, I don't know if it's just a fairy, I don't know where those countries exist, if they even do, like I said. But if you grew up in that kind of kingdom, it would be an easy transition. This sermon wouldn't be necessary. Simon didn't grow up in that kind of kingdom. This sermon wouldn't be necessary because you would appreciate the king and his sovereignty. You would appreciate that he is there to provide safety for, for me, to provide an opportunity for me to live and raise my family, to protect me and to keep me if I but what? If I but cooperate with him. But we, were, but, but we grew up, and I thank God, I don't want to grow up in Cuba or Russia or anywhere else 
So don't misunderstand me. I'm not unpatriotic. I'm just explaining something. We grew up in a country that was born in, get lost, king. Send troops over here. We're going to kill them too. We are independent. We're rebelling against you. We don't recognize your sovereignty. We don't recognize your authority. We're not going to live under it any longer. We're not going to submit ourselves to you. We are our own people, for the people, by the people, of the people. Thank you very much. Adios. And that mentality affects our view of our spot with God. It really does until it affects the way we pray, the way we think, the way we act. And what I call that is if, if you think that you can affect God, you can control God, I'm going to call you Simon the Magician. You don't get to control God. That was Simon's problem, uh, and that would be your problem, or that would be my problem as well. Our only job, I guess I'm done, our only job is to discover, and it's in the pages of this book, our only job then is to discover his plan for our lives and to cooperate with it. And to quit I don't know how to say this respectfully. And I'm so guilty of it too. So I'm not talking about you. See, I learned a long time ago, if I just preach to myself, it'll probably be okay for other people to, to listen along. God does not, I tell you, I've got a bad habit. If you've worked with me and a couple people in the room have worked with me, I will tell you how I want it done. And when you don't do it my way, even if you think you're done, I don't think you're done. I want it done my way. I got to park that when I operate with my God. He's, God does not, is not even interested in how I want it done. He has a plan. He has the de destination. And I need to remind myself that over and over the Bible says, his ways are not my ways. His ways are so much higher than my ways. I can't even think like he can think. And so what I've got to do is park it. Does this mean that God can't handle it when I come on to him and tell him what I want and how I want it? No, he can handle it. The way I can, I don't mean this mean towards my grandkids, but the way I can handle it when my grandkids are all whiny up on my lap, they're not fully grown up yet, I can tell that. They're, they're whiny little grandkids. I want this, I want that, I want it done my way. Yeah, I'm patient with you. You're my little grandkid. I'm patient with you. I love you. I understand you do. You're not going to get it. But I'm patient with it. Well, sometimes they get it when they're grandkids. <laughs> you know. But uh, God's God, man. You've got to realize it's not your job to whine and complain and to tell him how to do it. It's your job to figure out what he wants, do that by studying the word, and to comply with it, to cooperate with it. Amen. Otherwise, we become just like Simon, ultimately, our goal is to try to get God to do what we want him to do. It would be a, mm, look, I'm shutting it. It'd be a dangerous place. Let me just tell you something. You know this? Think about it. It would be a dangerous place around here if God answered every prayer. 
be a dangerous place if God answered every one of my prayers. I'd probably be worse off today if God had answered every one of my prayers. Because God, otherwise, to think differently is to say, well, then it's not true. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. God, God already knows the front from the back, the middle from the end. He knows it all. And who am I to think? Remember, my dad taught me. Last little story. My dad taught me he was confused as a, like a 10-year-old kid. He's paying attention in church, and here comes prayer time. I might have told you this before. So we grew up in New England, and he grew up in New England. Snow blows in New England in the wintertime. One fellow in the church, Svedin, Joe Svedin, my dad told me, bought a new plow rig. I mean, a six-wheeled, you know, two, four in the back and two up front, and big plow, sander thing on the back. Stood up in church and said, oh, God, I implore, I implore you, Lord, I got this truck. You know what his prayer was? Let the snow fly. We need the snowstorms. We need the blizzards, Lord. Then he heard, my dad's 10. He's paying attention, trying to figure out how to, you know, how, what God's hearing up there. Heard a little old lady pray a little later. Lord, I can, hardly di- I can hardly manage down my front steps when they're dry. When it's rainy, it's trouble. But when it's snow, it's impossible. Lord, please help it not to snow so much so I can get out of my house and get to church and go to the store. My 10-year-old little dad was like, God, what are you going to do? Tell you what he's going to do. Thank goodness people don't control the weather. You know how messed up it would be around here if we controlled the weather? Just God is sovereign. You let him know what you want. There's no harm done. In fact, in fact I told a gal this week, came to the house for some counseling. I said, you know what? Cast your cares upon him. To do so is to obey. He, he's interested in your needs. He's interested in your wants. He wants you to talk to him and, 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 and confess your dependence on him. But then you leave it there. And maybe you could end up the prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I know someone else who prayed like that. It was a model so that we should follow. Nevertheless, not my will be done. Here's what I'd really like to see, God. This is where my needs are. I know you're capable. This is the way, this is the way a mature Christian's prayer goes. You know, Lord, I, I'm obeying you to be praying about this thing because here's my needs set, and I know you want me to bring my needs to you. I want you to. I want to confess before you, Lord, that you are completely able. Uh, you you know the situation, but I'm confessing it to you that I need it, and you're able to do this thing. And uh, you know, in my heart, I'd like to see it done that way. And I completely leave it at your hands. And then you get up and you leave it. It goes the way you were crossing your fingers and praying in faith for. Praise God. Be happy. If it doesn't go the way you were believing God and crossing your fingers for, praise God. Be happy. Because he's king. He's taking care of his kingdom. Don't, don't, don't question him. He's got a handle on it. Love him. Serve him. Learn his purposes and obey him. Get in cadence with what he's doing in your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Uh, I guess I thank you that uh, Simon uh, made that blunder because it gave us a chance to look at our own selves and see how much maybe we have in our attitude and relationship with you to control you. And I pray, God, I give you permission to just strip that out of my life. 
please, Lord, I do not want to have a mentality of trying to control you. Thank you that you let me bring my needs to you. I thank you more than that, that, that you, are, you absolutely love me, you're in control of my situation, you care about me, and you hear my prayers. Help me to rest in that, oh God. Bless each of us today. Need forgiveness, need help. Make us more attentive to our heart's attitude. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace today.